Thank you, Bonnie and Linda. Alrighty, um, at this time, if you want to open up to Colossians, you can. Um, the truth is, though, is that th- this sermon is a concluding sermon about Colossians. Um, so we're going to jump around a bit in Colossians. We've already gone over every single verse. Um, so I just want to, this sermon, as it says behind me, it's, it's the themes. We're vi- revisiting the themes that we found in Colossians as we've gone through the whole book. Um, so let's go to it. The first one that I thought of, and this is really the overarching theme in my mind about Colossians, is that it's about foundations. And, and what I mean by that is that foundations, what, what does a foundation do? Well, support. It helps you build upon something. And so that's what Colossians does, and it does it spectacularly by giving us a foundation on which we can then build upon with all of our lives. Um, And so the first thing that comes within the book itself is gaining knowledge and wisdom of God. And this comes from uh, chapter 1, verse 9, and then also in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But the question about gaining knowledge and wisdom is, what's the purpose of it? I mean, we could all gain wisdom and knowledge, but but what's the goal? What's What's the end theme? And so... The purpose is to, one, it's to keep them in the truth. Um, if Paul and Timothy are writing to the Colossians, and ultimately we have to ask why, and this is one of them, to keep them within the truth of the gospel, the gospel itself, which causes true spiritual growth. And as we went through Colossians, we found Paul and Timothy arguing against these individuals who would say, okay, in order for you to have true spiritual growth, you needed to do X, Y, and Z. Um, And just so you know, Betsy, this is not going to be like a normal presentation. Just so so you're all aware, too. It's a little different today. Um, And so when I say that, what I mean is, is that they recognize that there were people who were saying, in order for you to have spiritual growth, you need to pray more. You need to follow the Sabbaths. You need to follow all of these, um, what we would call spiritual disciplines in order to have true spiritual growth. And Paul and Timothy begin by saying, no, <laughs> that's not how you have true spiritual growth. The way you have true spiritual growth is through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. The gospel itself causes growth. And that leads again to the second purpose, which is to keep them from falsehood. And that's usually what Paul does. He'll write about what is true and right, and then he'll tell them this is wrong. And so um, this is a few of the things that we find. The falsehood is falling prey to empty philosophies of the world, the spirituality, relying on the elemental spirits of the world, um, and the self, relying on worshiping of angels, of new moons, Sabbaths, certain foods, making sure you don't eat certain foods uh, for spiritual growth or to gain righteousness. And Paul and Timothy, they look at these things and they say, They're missing the mark. They're relying too much on things that are not Jesus. When it comes to the elemental powers of the world, people were trying to say, through these spiritual beings, we can achieve something more. And Paul and Timothy say, no, through Jesus Christ, you achieve that more. And then when he continues on with the food and the Sabbaths and things like that, he's saying, they're all saying, you do it. You gain the righteousness. You work at it. And Paul and Timothy say, no, Jesus has done it. He has done it. So we want to realize that foundationally, when we look at gaining wisdom and knowledge that Paul and Timothy talk about, it's for this purpose, so that we would know what is right and what is wrong, and that the Colossians themselves would. Um, 
And that's the foundational knowledge that we see. And that's what the wisdom that we see. The knowledge is the gospel. The wisdom is able to discern between right and wrong. Now the question again is, what is then the foundation? What is that foundation that they're talking about? And the answer to that is Jesus Christ himself. Now, the first verses that we're going to read. First, or Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 19. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the first thing we notice... He is the visible reality of an invisible God. First uh, John, we learned, no one has ever seen God except those who have seen the Son. And that's the same point that Paul and Timothy want us to recognize, that Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the one that they were able to see, that they were able to hear, and that they were able to even touch. He lived in time, space, history, and flesh, and he showed us who God is, but also that Christ is the foundation of the world. He is from the beginning. He, if we notice the text, look what it says, um, the firstborn of all creation. Now what that means is not that creation happened and Jesus was the firstborn, but he is before creation itself. Before creation even began, Christ was. Um, and that's a reality that says he's the foundation for this. Now, when it says he is the head, that means that he is the head of the church. He is the one who sustains us. He is the one who keeps us going. He's the firstborn of the dead. All the fullness of God dwells. He is the reconciler through his cross. All of these things are foundational for our faith. For the beginning, all the way to the end. For when we live, breathe, and have our being, it's all in Christ. And ultimately that he is preeminent above all and beyond all. You know, there's no spiritual being that can even come close to Jesus. There's a lot of people who have said, okay, angels, they're so powerful, let's go to them. But the truth is, we don't need angels. We need Jesus. He's beyond angels. He's beyond demons. He's stronger than both combined. And he showed that through what he has done through the cross. So what does this mean then? What is all of these verses and what does it mean when we read them all and say, okay, yeah, he's, he's all of these wonderful things. Well, it means that he is the foundation for everything in our lives. The next verses I want to look at come from chapter 2. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you 
who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now again, these verses are telling us about the foundation. Christ himself, what he accomplished on our behalf. And we recognize the head and the rule of all authority. That's Jesus. He is above them all. Even when it comes to things in our own life, we'll look at society around us and we'll think about the president. Or we won't, some of us. (laughs) Or we'll think about something else. We'll think about other rulers. We'll think about people in the past history. We'll think about um, Julius Caesar. And we'll think about all these wonderful beings, these, these people who were really mighty in our eyes. But guess what? Christ is beyond them. So not only is he above in the rule of some authority... He is the head and the rule of all authority. And so we also have, we have uh, been raised with him through faith in him in this text. We were once dead in our sins. Dead. And I love the analogy. Rob, I'm going to use Rob as an example since he's here today. (laughs) Let's say that our friend Rob over here, if he just collapses dead. I'm, I'm using him as an example. Hopefully he doesn't. Now, would it be crazy for Kira, his, his wonderful wife, my dear friend too, <laughs> to say, come on, Rob, get up. We need to go to the hospital. <laughs> would that make any sense? I would hope everyone would be like, no, that doesn't make any sense. And that's how we sometimes perceive it. But the truth is, is that that's what it's like to be dead in our sin. We can't get up on our own. And the person next to us can't tell us to just get up. The only one who can tell us to get up is God. And that's what it means for him to, for us to be raised with him through faith in him. Because it reminds us, I can't get up on my own. He gets me up. That's what the faith is about. And then that also leads to the complete aspect. We are forgiven of all of our trespasses, our debts, our sins. We all live in this reality. You know, there's none of us who can say, you know, I'm better than anyone else. We're all in sin. We've all failed. We're all depraved. We've all sinned at least once in our lives. I remember telling Rob about this last night. He was over. um, And there was this one time a guy was out witnessing on his college campus. And, uh, and he was asking these questions. Okay, have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? And it was all the Ten Commandments. You know, have you broken the Ten Commandments? And he comes down to stealing. And the, the young guy says, oh, no, that's disgusting. I would never steal. That's awful. And then Todd Friel says in response, have you ever downloaded music illegally? There it is, he says. <laughs> yep, done that. <laughs> you know, and so we have this recognition. You know, we, that's who we are, all of us. We have this sin, and because of that, we have a debt. And because of that debt, We deserve justice. It would be like if Ellen went out and robbed the Dollar General and then got caught. I mean, right now, it's not even open. I don't know why you do it, Ellen. (laughs) Haven't they been through enough, Ellen? 
But no, like, the truth is, is that's what it's like. That guilt then of being caught, of being red-handed, and you know what? I am guilty. She would be guilty. That's what we're dealing with. The exception is, though, is that it's against God himself. Not against state laws. Not against, necessarily, Dollar General. But against God. Every sin that we commit, even against other people, is ultimately against God. So when you really think about it, we owe God a great debt. But guess what? We don't have to feel shame or sorrow anymore because if we have faith in Jesus, that debt is gone. Gone. You don't even have it anymore. It is accomplished through Christ. That weight is gone. The wonder is gone. That you are made new right then. And then you continue forward into the gospel. Now that, uh, that raises a question then. Alright, Pastor. It's all about Jesus. Does that mean that we're antinomian? Now who's actually thinking that? <laughs> I hope nobody. Um, antinomian. Antinomian, Mike. Um, antinomian. Anti-against-namas-law. Does that mean that we don't have laws to fulfill? Does that mean that we don't have a way to live? You know, if it's all about Christ, do I really have to live righteously? Do I have to live a good way? Do I have to seek out God in how I live? You know, that's the question that can come to our minds. We've all, I think we've all really had that question before. At least I have at one point. And then I, you know, kept reading. <laughs> it's like, answer is no. No, once the foundation is laid, we build upon it. All of our lives are then built upon this foundation of Jesus Christ. And this is how Paul and Timothy, they describe it in chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, there's a way to live. There's a way to live. And I think a lot of times in our church society, we'll talk about Christ and we'll talk about how wonderful his salvation is, but then we won't recognize the fact that there comes a life after that we can live. And that's something that we need to emphasize more. And the wonder of it all, That we can put them to death. We can say, I am no longer going to live this way. And we can say, because of Jesus, it's possible for you to change. Don't get stuck in the cultural psychology of the day which says, you are stuck being who you are. You're not. Christ breaks the chains. And you can live for Him. And you can live in ways which glorify your Father in Heaven. And also with that last verse, verse 11, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. It reminds us there is no one too dirty, no one too much in sin that can't be saved. No one. And that's good news for me personally. 
Because when I look around, I think, y'all are so much better than me. And then I think to myself, but God can redeem even me. There's hope there for, for everyone. But so we don't even, so that's the thing. Paul and Timothy, they're wonderful teachers because they talk about not only how not to live, but then they also tell us that how we can live. And this comes in the next few verses. Um, It talks about it personally and corporately. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And even if we, as we unpack these verses, it always sticks out to me, the forgiveness aspect. You know, I think a lot of times we deal with people who really sin against us and it can be so hard for us to forgive. Has anyone ever been in that circumstance? Ellen, stop thinking of David. Um, David's her husband. (laughs) He's not here. I shouldn't pick on him when he's not here. But no, there's times when when there's something that someone has done to us and we think to ourselves, I just, I can't forgive them. I can't do it. Do you know what helps you to get over that hurdle? Jesus. Why? Because he's forgiven you. Through him, you are forgiven of everything you've ever committed against God. All the big stack of sins that you have committed against God, gone. That helps us to realize, I can forgive this person for the sin that they've committed against me. Because if God can forgive me, I can forgive others. And ultimately, I can be bound in the fact that love is there. And I can love even this person who sins against me, whether it's family member or neighbor or whoever it might be. Christ really is the foundation. But it also talks corporately. You know, there's that personal understanding of how we are to live, each of us. But then it goes on corporately. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. One body being the church. We are the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And when we went over these verses, there were two things you want to look at at these and all of this. The first is Jesus is mentioned in every single one. It's um, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, And whatever you do, the Lord Jesus. Jesus is mentioned in each verse. But then the other thing that's also mentioned, thankfulness. Thankfulness. Be thankful. Um, Have thankfulness in your hearts to God. And also um, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Ultimately, why can we be thankful? Why can we come to worship here every Sunday? Why can we keep on through the daily grind, come back and sing these songs, admonish one another in the truth? How can we be a body together? The answer is because we have a reason to be thankful and to join together in thankfulness as we celebrate what Christ has done. Because through him, we're no longer bound and shackled to the sin of our past, the debts are gone. 
we can come and be thankful together, learning together. There's so much, so much within the Christian faith. And then when you think, oh, okay, it's only about the church and that's all they talk about and it's only about me personally. You know what? No, they also talk about marriage and family too. Husbands, love your wives. Hard thing to do. <laughs> it's, it is. The, the word there is agape. And agape is the same in 1 Corinthians 13. That's a hard thing to do. And guess what? Husbands, unfortunately for us, it's unconditional. My wife does not have to meet the conditions in order for me to love her. I just have to. What about wives? Respect your husbands. Harder still. <laughs> um, I know I mess up as a husband. I know Rob messes up as a husband because I know him so well. <laughs> but still, respect is there. And guess what? Again, it's unconditional. Hard thing to do. Hard thing. Children, obey your parents. As we get older, I think it gets a little easier. A little. <laughs> But even then, it still can be hard. Fathers, do not provoke them. But it's so much fun. <laughs> it's so much fun to provoke our children a little bit. But no, when it talks about prov provocation in this, um, they're talking about making sure that we don't, we don't lead them away from the truth of the gospel. We don't want to do things to them that would cause them to get frustrated and angry and then say, I'm done with this Jesus. We want to be truthful honest. We want to love them and sometimes provoke them in a fun way. <laughs> Bond servants and slaves serve well as the Lord. And it says those who mistreat will receive judgment. Um, and you know, we could secularize this and say, you know, okay, if you're working at Acorn or if you're working here or there or there, serve well wherever you are. You can do that. You can understand it. Uh, in that context, though, there was no people like that. They were slaves. Um, so for Paul to say that and for Timothy to remind them, you know what? Keep serving well. That's what Christ calls you to. It gives us another kick in the butt, I think, when we complain about work. Because <laughs> you know what? We could change our jobs probably any time. They couldn't. They were stuck. They were. But then it also says this. Masters, treat them well. For you have a master in heaven. Masters are supposed to act like Jesus. They're supposed to be kind. They're supposed to love. And it's a reminder that this gospel, the foundation of which, it doesn't just deal with Sunday mornings. It deals with everything in our lives. From work, to family, to even how we relate to others. The foundation of our faith Jesus Christ deals with it all. The last chapter, the, the thing I emphasized most was how we are to fulfill our ministries faithfully. Um, knowing that we belong to Christ to serve one another in love is what the text goes with. And that's what we need to remember, is that we all are called to be ministers. And as I mentioned this before, in our bulletins, when it says ministers, it has everyone right across the stage. Because that's the truth. We're all called to minister to one another. Especially Christians ministering to Christians. Yes, it overflows. Because we should have so much love that it does overflow. The way that Jesus' love overflows. But the truth is, we start here together. As a body. And then outside. I mean, if we can't love one another... The world will never know what love really is. 
John in John, Jesus says, This is how the world will know that you are my disciples, how you love not everyone, one another. The emphasis is on each other. And that's why, again, we can come together in thankfulness and love because we follow Jesus. We're actually coming close to the end on all this. I know, I'm going kind of fast maybe. But uh, the last, very last point is that the thing that we see in, the, in Colossians is that this is a gospel of grace. And if you look at the book, it begins with grace and it ends with grace. The second verse... And Colossians says, and we conclude, we conclude, um, oh no, that's not right. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now the very last verse of Colossians, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, remember my chains, grace be with you. Grace. The gospel itself is all about Grace. Because when we read through Colossians and we talked about our sins and our debts, the truth is, is that in order for us to receive the gospel, we need grace. It implies that none of us are good enough to be able to reach it on our own. But through grace, all of the rest of it comes. And then through grace, we conclude and remember, ah, yes, this is all about grace. And we rejoice together knowing that the grace of God has come upon us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then through this, we can then be gracious to one another. Through this, we can live our lives to the wholeness and the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. The book of Colossians, as we've gone through it from verse by verse, from chapter 1 to chapter 4, it's all about Jesus, how he is the foundation, and how that leads to us being able to live. So as we conclude Colossians, that's what I want you to remember. And when people ask you, what's the book of Colossians about? You can say, ah, it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful book. It tells me all about Jesus and how wonderful he is. And it reminds me to give so much thanks because he has done so much on my behalf. As we continue on, as we as a church, as we as friends of church, <laughs> as we visitors, as we continue forward, let us keep on with the gospel. Let's not be deceived by false philosophies. Let's not be deceived by those who would say that they have some secret inspiration of God that is foreign to the gospels, to Jesus, to the Bible. Let's not be deceived by the prosperity gospel, by these false ideas of who God is that aren't even incongruent with the God of the Bible. Let's remember, the gospel itself is what causes growth. Cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cling to the gospel of grace. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much, again, for all that you have accomplished through your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we look back on Paul and Timothy, and as we look back on those who, by your grace, you have us standing on their shoulders, let us remember that the truth of what they said speaks to us today. And that just as the Colossians needed to hear the truth of the gospel and to be encouraged by the truth of the gospel, so we do as well.
So Lord, let our foundation of Christ, let it never waver, and we know it won't. But let us always remember that the foundation is strong. The foundation is sure. Let us continue to build upon that foundation, seeking to glorify you above all else. May you alone be praised for all that you have accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn.